Hello and welcome to the Really Refreshing Podcast. It's your host as always, Tanner Koch, and it's been a very hot minute since we've done this show. Um, the last time we did it was back in December with my buddy Adam as we went over our favorite films of 2022, which uh, ironically we're recording this episode on Oscar weekend. And um, But we've been away from the main subject of the podcast for a while, which is that this is a podcast that explores the concept of cinematic nostalgia goggles. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest to deep dive into a film from the past that we haven't visited in a significant amount of time. We're here to find out, is it still enjoyable? Was it ever good at all? What blemishes have appeared from the passage of time? We'll find out today. So myself and today's guest have each revisited the subject film, and then we'll be sharing our thoughts on our recent and previous experiences with the film. I'll share some fun facts about the production and the release, and then we'll walk through the actual plot of the story in great detail, no less. At the end, we'll give out several category awards based on our opinions. That includes the Fine Wine and Stale Beer Awards, aka What's Aged Well, What's Aged Poorly, um, Best Performance, Favorite Scene, and some other categories specific to the film itself or whatever we came up with and didn't share with each other. So uh, let's see what we come up with. Oh, and then also my favorite category, as always, is recasting the film if it were made today. Um, so without further ado, uh, also returning, uh, not just this podcast, but a previous guest from the Tron episode. Please welcome back, Brandon Smith. Hey, Brandon, how's it going? Hey, hey, I'm good. How about you? Uh, very well. Um, I happen to have an open weekend and uh, I realized it's been a hot minute since we've done the podcast proper. I've done some side episodes talking about, um, you know, recent films, but that's really more so the purpose of my website than the podcast. So I really wanted to get back to the general theme of watching older films to see how they've developed over time and how we've grown as people as well. Um, but Brandon was uh, kind enough to jump in last minute here because I just posed a question a few days ago, like, anybody want a pod? Um, so I'm uh, thankful that he uh, decided to join. And also, we have a, a bit of history here now because this is the very first entry in the podcast. Where we'll actually be exploring a film from this millennium. Hey. Uh, <laughs> traditionally, uh, we've had like four films from the 90s and two or three from the 80s. So this will be the very first time that we're breaking into the 2000s. So uh, without further ado, Brandon, why don't you tell us what film are we going to be exploring on today's episode? So we are going to be discussing the 2006 film The Fountain with Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weiss, Directed uh... by Dared Aronofsky. Yes. And uh, yeah, uh, so I was actually really excited when you posed this. It was like, I think the first thing you brought up and uh, I just immediately was like, yes, that is a perfect film because, well, for multitudes of reasons, like I've always been hot or cold on Darren Aronofsky. Like I, I it's like he makes very complicated and jarring cinema. Um, that's a lot, it's very hard for people to digest a lot of the time, but some of his films I really, really love. And, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history with the film? Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about mine. Um, so when did you 
approximately first see this? Yeah, so I only saw it once before, and it was shortly after it came out. Um, I didn't catch it in the theaters, um, but I, probably shortly after it came out on video, because I remember renting it and watching it with my wife, um, who was my girlfriend at the time when, when we were first living together. Um, so yeah, we, we watched it. It was one of those, you know, oh, let's let's find a movie and rent it and just have a nice chill night at home and, and watch something together. And, and we both watched it together. And I remember about, I want to say halfway through the movie, maybe she was nodding off. She was falling asleep and just couldn't couldn't make it through the rest. She's like, I'm, I, I'm not into this. I'm going to bed. So <laughs> she went to bed. I finished the movie because um, I, I thought it was interesting um, and wanted to see kind of where it was going with the whole thing. Um, and I remember getting to the end of it and just kind of being like, okay, well, that was something. And I remember kind of trying to tell her like, oh, so this is what happened at the end. This is what you missed. And I was confused. I couldn't even describe it very well. I was like, yeah, it was, it was interesting and weird. I like the music though and stuff. And I just, I don't remember really, really understanding it very well the first time. Um, but like I said, I love the soundtrack. It's a soundtrack I've listened to like many times. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite kind of like background pieces to put on while I'm working. Um, strangely enough, um, but uh, but yeah, never never got back to it and rewatched it since then. But I've uh, I know that this is one of those movies that is widely panned, or uh, that might be not be the best term. Uh, but just in in general, general audiences, people people love to crap on this movie. Um, yeah. And I never hated it. I I thought it was interesting. I enjoyed what I saw, but it wasn't what I was expecting. And I think that was the part of the big reason why a lot of people didn't like it was because the trailers and everything really kind of uh presented it like something else something that it wasn't it it really if i remember correctly from the trailers that i saw it looked like it was just going to be a movie about a guy looking for the fountain of youth and possibly finding it like this period piece mm -hmm. and it was something very different from that as as a whole so i think people went into it with expectations that were that were not met and and that was true for me as well but i i I never hated it like most people did. So it's one of those ones I've always wanted to go back and rewatch. Well, you're absolutely correct. It's a very divisive film. And it's like one of those ones where I feel like people either love it or hate it. And um, I know it's like not good to use Rotten Tomatoes as a reference point, but it has like, I think like a 50%, which like, you know, if you're one of those people that judges Rotten Tomatoes, like, well, it must be bad. The way I look at it is it's like it's a it's a split decision. Um, yeah. So like literally half the people really enjoy it. Half the people really hate it. Um, I will say that my experience uh, the first time around, I don't think I actually finished it uh, back. This came out in 2006. I also didn't see it in theaters. So I uh, probably rented it as well, um, probably through like the old Netflix DVD Blu-ray mail-in system. Um did you do Redbox? I think it was a Redbox. Okay. Probably a Redbox at that time. I, I yeah. had to ask. I couldn't let it go uh, without <laughs> doing that. But yeah, I would think I was just too young at the time, and I didn't think it. I didn't even finish it, I'm pretty sure, because I don't remember most of it, uh, only really the beginning. So I think that I was just too young, and I didn't understand the, the allegories that are going on in the film. Also, like, candidly, I've never been a religious person. I don't know much about the Bible, never read it. So a lot of those things really go over my head. But as, like, 
So that's like less than half my lifetime ago, uh, or actually more than half my lifetime ago when that movie came out. So um, I I wasn't a fan of it. I gave up on it, I'm pretty sure, back in the day, um, but uh, was interested to check it out now. How did you feel? Uh, what did you expect going in? Did you think you were going to like it, or you just think maybe you might have a change of heart? Well, considering that I, I always felt like it was a movie that I, I did come away with just generally generally liking it. I've I've always felt like it was a better movie than most people gave it credit for and I and I just remembered having a general feeling of like yeah, I liked this movie and I would watch it again. Um, and part of that was because knowing what it actually is going into it with with, you know, tempered expectations or with the correct expectations. Um, I, I figured I would have a different experience and, and probably enjoy it even more than I actually already did before. Um, so I was, I was really optimistic going into this thinking that, uh, thinking I would, I would probably have a, an even better experience. Yeah, I, I definitely expected to enjoy it more this time as like having a more developed mind and being more attuned to, um, Darinovsky's, uh, filmography, because uh, since this film, he's made several other movies that are deep religious allegories. And so, like, I understand that a bit more. And I actually found that, like, watching the film this time, uh, I got about, you know, 15 minutes in and I basically put all the pieces together of what was transpiring. So, like, and not to, that's not like a rag, like, oh, well, I guessed all the twists, like, in the sure. first act. It was just like, I think they were just kind of heavy handed about it. And they weren't trying to hide it. They were just trying yeah. to tell you, like, in each scene, like, this is what we're trying to say, uh, yeah. which, like, may be a bit too much. But um, I'll, I'll save my thoughts on in general for after we get through it. Um, before I jump into uh, the fun facts section, why don't you I know you struggled with it to tell uh, your wife back in the day. Well, why don't you attempt to give us like a brief synopsis or breakdown of like what this movie is about mm. uh so i actually wrote after i got through the movie this time um while the while the credits were rolling i kind of wrote up this like synopsis but it's it's a bit more detailed than i think we want to get into right now but i'll i'll save it for later because i do want to get into what kind of my my overall interpretation of the movie was uh, uh by the end of this but in a nutshell what the movie is about is basically um, this man who's a doctor, he's a surgeon, his wife is dying of a tumor, a brain tumor. Um, and she's a writer. She has been writing a, uh, a book about a Spanish conquistador who's on a mission for the queen of Spain to find the fountain of youth, to find the, the tree of life, you know, find, find Eden. Um, and, 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 you know, bring, bring back, you know, whatever this, this, you know, elixir of life or, or whatever it is that he may find, bring that back to, to save Spain and, and, you know, uh, I guess solidify her, her, uh, uh, you know, rule or something like that as, as, uh, as the uh, inquisition is coming after her head for being a heretic or whatnot. So this is, this is the fictional story within the story that his wife is writing. Um, and, we're getting glimpses of that throughout the movie while the, while Tommy, the main character is, uh, you know, trying to find a cure for his wife's tumor and racing against time. That's kind of yeah. the 
general sy synopsis I would give. Also, there's a third element to this film where you actually are in the future as well. It, yes. In like, yes. In like 2500. And it's yes. fucking crazy. It's yeah. like some Dragon Ball Z shit. I wasn't sure like how, how, how much of... Yeah, I wasn't sure how much yeah. uh, we're going into the, the whole kind of... I think it's of, important like, because yeah. like the, the when we get into the plot, like they just cut so quickly or transition immediately. Like He'll be this era of himself yeah. and then he'll turn around and he'll walk into a scene from the past and there'll be like 30 seconds where he's still that version of himself. And then yeah, they do establish too. very early on that there's all of these different kind of time periods and potential... Uh, different storylines kind of playing out at the same time and overlapping with each other. They, they do get to that pretty early on. Yeah. There's like three main timelines in the film. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to, there's not too many fun facts that I have for this film. Uh, it's kind of hard to find behind the scenes footage or, uh, you know, deep dossiers or trivia and stuff. So I'll go over some basic stuff, but there is some very interesting things in here. Let's start as always with box office. So this, uh, this movie had a projected budget of $35 million, um, which to today's standard is very low. At the time, that's more of a mid-budget film. This does feature a lot of special effects um, that you wouldn't, and like deep, big sets and costumes and what have you. And uh, they really stretch that budget very well. But to today's standard, um, it would probably be around like 60, 70 million dollars to make this movie. Um, but it ended up grossing 16 million worldwide. So this one was a big box office bomb. Mm. Um, it lost a lot of money for the studio, which I want to say was Searchlight, but I could be wrong about that. Um, as mentioned before, this was uh, an Darren Aronofsky film, which he uh, wrote the story himself. So this is a, an original concept but heavily based off of uh, stories in the Bible, or specifically the Spanish Bible. Um, some interesting tidbits. Um, I think the, the Mayan religion was, was the big... Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Mayan stuff in this yeah. film. Uh, Mayan museum, Mayan temples. Like, it's, it's very, very heavy in that form. And in fact... Our first fun fact is that the 70 extras were cast as Mayan warriors. 20 were actually Mayans flown in from Guatemala wow. uh, to play those characters. And then Fernando Hernandez, who played the lord of that temple at the beginning, which we'll get into in the plot, was the only one who could speak English. So before huh. shooting at the Mayan pyramid, the Mayan actors blessed the set. So that's, that's pretty cool. cool. That is cool. Uh, so they had 70 bit. extras. I can only recall seeing maybe about 20 of them on screen at any one time. I wonder, I'm wondering why they needed 70. It's basically all in the like conquistador era. Cause there's yeah. also like the stuff in like the dome, the dungeon where they do tortures and oh, stuff. Yeah. And there's like, there's just, yeah. a t there's people throughout. Um, so not just all the Mayan extras, not just the ones at the temple or something like that necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this one was really interesting, too. So originally, um, Aronofsky cast Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett in the lead huh. roles. And they actually began filming the movie with a projected budget of $75 million in Australia. Wow. But during the pre-production, 
Brad Pitt and Darren Aronofsky got in a major fight over creative differences. So then Brad Pitt left the film to go make Troy instead. Wow. And so it shut down the budget of the film completely. Uh, They tore down the sets or sold them at auction and the movie didn't get made. And then fast forward two years, uh, he brings the story to Hugh Jackman, who then gets uh, another budget set up. And he was actually dating Rachel Weisz at the time, Darren Aronofsky was. So he he already had her attached as well. So we got two like budding stars at the time or famous stars at the time uh, to be in the movie, which then got them a new budget from Warner brothers who was uh, financing the original film that shut down. So they already lost $20 million on that first production budget Mm -hmm. because of the shutdown and Brad Pitt fallout. So they just burned and threw away $20 million on footage that will never be seen. And then they had to repitch the movie for, half the budget that they originally had also keeping in mind that they burned through an additional $20 million on the first attempt at making that's insane. That's really, that that blows my mind that they actually managed to, to get it done that they even tried again a second time. Yeah. And that was $75 million in 2002 when they were initially making it. So this was going to be a massive, massive scale film. And so they, I still think they achieved that uh, with what they have in this movie in the final product, but it was supposed to be much more epic than Mm -hmm. it actually is. Um, Let's see, uh, what else? One thing that that stood out to me about this was uh, it is a, a notably small cast aside from you know those extras yes. that you mentioned and stuff the the core uh you know cast of characters you've got you know tommy and his wife izzy uh and and the other characters that they play when you see elements of izzy's book that she's writing you know it's it's her playing the queen the same actress at least you know and and hugh jackman's character playing the spanish conquistador um so they reuse those actors for that, but uh, you know, other than that, you get the people at the hospital where where Tommy works as a doctor. Uh, it's just his his coworkers, you know, the few other doctors and whatnot. There, it's it's not a huge cast. No, exactly. And in fact, in the uh, I didn't put much effort into it, but in the casting film for today, I only cast the two leads. Uh, same, I didn't even same. I didn't even <laughs> think about the other actors. It's like they're such small yeah. roles, like. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Like it's really a two-person show in this movie, right? Um, so, man, there was one other tidbit that I really wanted to press on, but I'm having a hard time finding the exact verbiage of it. But essentially, uh, what it means is, um, oh, okay. So instead of wanting, to, so throughout the movie, there's a lot of these like visual motifs of like kind of like exploding stars because a lot of the movie takes place around like nebulas. Yeah. Um, which will get it. This sounds crazy if you haven't seen the movie, uh, but it will make right. more sense once we get into the plot of it. Right. But, um, Back to that Mayan religious so, iconography thing. So, in fact, this blew my mind. So, that is not CGI when we see those throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Instead of using CGI, Aronofsky chose to do the visual effects for the film by using micro photography on chemical reactions in tiny petri dishes. Whoa. <laughs> so you're talking about for like the special effects by the end of the, um, of the movie? That's Some of the definitely special space. effects. I'm talking about okay. like throughout you see like the the separating 
like mm-hmm. organisms or like when he's like in the operating room and he looks up and he sees like the, oh yeah, the yeah. lights that they, they do those visuals a ton throughout the movie like along with the nebula and stuff so like mm-hmm. when you're seeing that it's yeah. actually it almost looks like a corridor or a tunnel photography of light. it's yeah. like they're using like a, a stethoscope and wow. like just filming like little organisms and shit so it's really it's practical like, effects it's not special effects at all for yeah me. wow yeah. that's pretty so cool that's i thought was very interesting yeah creative um okay so uh, uh one other fun fact i wanted to get to so i don't forget about it later because i didn't write a script for this episode <laughs> but uh i just got through the movie last night i haven't had time to prep but um it wasn't nominated for any awards um as you said it, it had uh a lot of discourse around it when it came out a lot of people did not enjoy it it was nominated for some saturn awards which is like the sci-fi awards of each year like for prestigious uh films and sci-fi and whatnot but yeah not a single oscar nomination um which uh this is uh, whatever spoiler i thought this movie was incredible <laughs> like like when i watched it this time and nice. i was like holy cow what like nice no cinematography no score yeah like, no production design like how the hell did that not even those things get nominated this is a work of art <laughs> this movie yeah. like like every single scene every single frame is like stunningly gorgeous well we're on and the same like, page there i'm glad to hear you say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like yeah i was blown away watching this movie finally for the first time i'll, yeah. I'll say for the first time because i will probably put like 15 20 minutes into it like 16 years ago but yeah, I was blown away, man. I thought it was really, really good, and I'm pissed off that it didn't get nominated. Yeah, for anything. I, I'm, I'm really surprised that there wasn't at least a nomination. And I've, I've mentioned the soundtrack before, soundtrack or score. Um, Clint Mansell. I wanna, I wanna mention that Clint Mansell was the one who did the score for this, did the music for the movie. Um, and I said it already. I, I love the soundtrack. It's a phenomenal soundtrack, um, and and it stands alone just as a piece of music. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. listened to it many, many times. Um, really good stuff yeah so i had to go back and look at some of the films that were nominated that year because i was like i need to understand and then i also remembered that one of my favorite films of all time which is not like a lot of people's favorites from scorsese it gets dunked on a lot but i absolutely adore the departed and that one best picture this year so uh, i won't argue against that 2006 uh, yeah, so the, for, that's for, for the movies that came out in 2006, it would have been the 2007 Oscars because they do it mm-hmm. in like March each year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so Best Picture that year was, and it was actually a pretty stacked year. The Best Picture nominees weren't great. Like, as so this was before 2008. So if, for those who don't know, in 2008, The Dark Knight came out. It was a huge commercial hit, um, but people were outraged that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It was only nominated for Heath Ledger and Supporting Actor and probably some technical awards, maybe cinematography. I'd have to look that up. But people were so outraged that uh, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture that they, in fact, changed the Oscars from then on out Hmm. to instead of being five nominees for Best Picture, there are 10. So ever since 2009, that has been the case because of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. So at the time when this movie was released, there was only five Best Picture nominees. So that year it was The Departed, Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. I saw Um, none of those. (laughs) 
I have seen four of those. I haven't seen the queen. And uh, I think that easily has the place of the fountain for me. Um, but there was also some other really great films that year. Cause then looking at the, um, cause even like Borat came out that year. <laughs> Little children was incredible. Fucking children of men came out that year. Also that not, one. also not nominated for anything. But yeah, so there were some really stacked films, but as per usual, the Academy screwed up on the Best Picture nominees. Yeah, original score, Babel, The Good German, Notes on a Scandal. I've never even heard of that movie. Wow. Um, Pan's Labyrinth. That's really great. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't get it. I think like over time, they will. Uh, I think this movie will get more appreciation as people see it over the years. So. Um, I thought that was a bummer, but uh, wanted to make note of it just for the record. Like, I think it's an injustice that this film did not get <laughs> nominated for not even just the Academy yeah. Awards, no Golden Globes, no BAFTA, no anything like outside of like the science fiction and horror film awards of the year, right. which is like pretty insane to me. But it also surprises me because it, it seems like many times the more kind of esoteric, uh, um, you know, abstract kind of movies are the ones that get the awards and general audiences don't really connect with them as well but it, it seems like that you know the the craft and the art is what is is recognized by the academy or by whatever body is doing whatever awards yeah. you know that's way. usually the case although we are on the eve of the well it's like basically a bona fide guarantee that tomorrow night everything everywhere all at once is going to win best picture oh, like there's sure. no question yeah. about it it's going to win. So that's well, like but that one too. That one too. I mean, it had a mixture of different elements in that movie, but it does get a little bit more abstract. Uh, it's know, certainly not like any movie that would even be nominated for best picture before, let alone mm -hmm. win the whole thing. Um, so it's just like this thing where this weird independent film from the guys who made the turn down for what yeah. music video, yeah. the, the farting <laughs> Harry Potter movie. Uh, yeah. It just comes out with this bonkers film that just yeah. took over the planet. Uh, it, you know, it's A24's most successful film to date. Um, and yeah, it's going to clean house tomorrow night. I love uh, that movie. And I thought I was going to be in the vast minority. It blew my mind when I started seeing people just coming out of the woodwork praising that movie. I was like, really? No, <laughs> I, I thought I was a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah, I don't love it as much as most people do. I think it's really, really good. I think it's a little overrated, and I think there's some other films that are better than it. I'd like uh, to rewatch it. I've only seen it the one time so far in the theater. I've seen it a few times now. Yeah. It just doesn't... I don't connect with it as much as most other people do, but it's still really, really good. Um, so with that, why don't we jump into the plot of The Fountain from 2006. Uh, starts off with a Bible verse about Adam and Eve, so... Typical Aronofsky. Yeah. Um, for example's sake, he other films that he's made are that are religious themed. Um, Mother, if you've seen that with Jennifer Lawrence, really crazy film. I have her and Javier Bardem. It's about like Mother Nature and like Javier Bardem is God and how people worship God and then like they ignore nature and stuff like that. It's it's bonkers stuff, man. Uh, another highly polarizing film. Uh, and then the uh, the only movie of his I haven't seen is like Noah, starring Russell Crowe. It was like a huge like biblical epic. It didn't look very good to me. I didn't see it. 
Oh, actually, no, I stand corrected because I also didn't see the whale, uh, which came oh, out. Oh, you still late haven't last seen that? Uh-uh. I know you oh, saw man. it. I did. I thought it was really good. All right, cool. I'm surprised you haven't seen uh, it. I, yeah, I never got around to it. Um, there's, I was at Sundance and then I saw like a million movies and like nowadays you get like two weeks to see something. And if it's, if you didn't see it in that window, it's gone. Yeah, um, that, that movie is, uh, I, I would say it's, it's almost like a one man act, but I mean, there, there are supporting characters. It's, it's more like, you know, you've got these kind of collections of dual scenes between Brendan Fraser and, and, you know, the other, the other characters in the in the movie but you know he really carries that movie and he does a amazing job a very very good performance i have no doubt about it I'll, I'll get to it sometime soon um okay so yeah we get our bible quote we're in the conquistador uh back in the day spain uh to start this film out this is our first timeline and we actually see the queen right out of the gate presenting the ring to uh what did he go yeah. was it just tom in the in the past, uh, they, uh, in the past, it wasn't. She called him her oh, conquistador. Or something. Or oh, was it Thomas? Oh, did they give yeah. a name? I didn't catch that yeah. actually. Well, at least according to the IMDb page, so that was oh, okay. uh, one of the three names. There's Thomas, yeah. Tommy, and Tom Creo, uh, uh, which Creo I assume was his is last the future name. version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tommy Creo was his name. Yeah, in it was the, his name the whole time. time but yeah. I guess that's what they call future version. Is just oh, Tom okay. Creo. And yeah. then the middle version in like quote unquote modern times is Tommy. Um, yeah. And then, so this past version we will refer to as Thomas. Okay. Um, so he is the conquistador of the past. He's been given a ring by the queen and then he leads uh, a bunch of soldiers through a skull filled jungle. And then an army of Mayan natives crashes the party and kills his friends and traps them. <laughs> just right out of the gate to start this movie and this set design is incredible like it's very very gorgeous like they don't make them like this anymore yeah very very uh realistic definitely doesn't doesn't look like a set i would say no no not at all yeah it looks really really good and they probably did go out some, i uh, somewhere and and film some uh external locations and stuff but like definitely the mayan stuff i don't think would be real which is exactly where we go to from here. Uh, he climb, he sails to the top. He's basically forced to go to the top of this Mayan temple because there's mm -hmm. a whole army of people that have caught him. And at the top is this king lord uh, who's pretty mad, and uh, he's got a flaming sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow. And Thomas gets, like, stabbed in the gut. Uh, a biblical reference there. He stabs him with a dagger first. With a dagger, yeah. yeah. And then he bursts out his flaming sword yeah. and swings to decapitate him. Tells him death is the road to awe and then swings at him, which is a quote that comes up throughout the film in a, a few different points. Yeah, a, a lot. A big trick in the movie is repetition. So you're going to see a lot of the same lines, the same imagery, but in different yes. styles constantly throughout the film different really, styles really cool. different time periods it's perfect for match edits like it, they do some really really great match edits where you're like focused on a ring and then it like transitions uh, yeah. and it's like a circular floor or stuff like that yeah like, yeah or the nebula uh, yeah. which we'll get into because as soon as his head gets chopped off we cut to uh tom creo aka tom from 2500 um, yeah super far in the future now 
and yeah. he is like a god, um, like a literal god, where he is up in space, living next to a tree in a nebula, and he's like he can fly. Right. <laughs> so like, they're basically like they're in space, and it's like there's this transparent orb that contains this giant tree, this very large tree, and him. And, you know, the little bit of earth that the tree is kind of planted into. And that's it. And they're just floating through space in this transparent ball. Um, yeah, and he can he's just kind of like floating there, meditating in the air. He kind of glides down to the tree, you know. So, yeah, he definitely seems like this godlike being in some in some sense. Anyway, yeah, it's very Dragon Ball Z, like the way <laughs> he could like float through different little mini planets and flying and stuff. It's it's a trip, man. Like, yeah. and if they didn't present a lot of that, did so you don't recall them presenting that stuff in the trailer? Because I don't, I don't remember any of that from the trailer because yeah, I definitely they may, remember they may the have, Conquistador but... stuff. Yes, I remember that because that's what I thought the, the movie was. Trailer. I thought the movie was just. Like, I mean, I do remember in the trailers that you see some other time period. So if you see him in what's clearly present day, you know, the, the Tommy and, and Izzy era, um, you do see that in the trailers because I remember thinking, oh, this is this guy lived hundreds of years ago as a Spanish conquistador. He found the fountain of youth and he's still alive. And he and this woman have lived through all these different lifetimes. That's what the trailers made it look like. And that's not quite what it was. Yeah. And I do have questions about that once we okay. get to the end of this joke. That's see not what, what I thought it was. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely get to our interpretations. Yeah, so future Tom is uh well he's bald and he's uh looks quite different than we have seen him before. Uh much skinnier, very mm -hmm. pale, completely bald, he's yeah. completely isolated alone. No, no beard like in the Conquistador era. Yeah, he's completely alone out there in space. Just no, kind he's of got a tree. Floating around, meditating, and he's got a tree um, <laughs> with uh, hair follicles. <laughs> <laughs> but he really creepily goes up to you and massages the hairs right. on this tree. And then he uh, breaks Cuts off little a little piece of the here. bark and eats it. <laughs> yeah, which kind of is it, kind of alluding to the idea that he's he's, you know, staying alive by doing this. It's giving mm -hmm. him life or immortality, perhaps. And then we get our first glance at Izzy, which is the modern times of the 2006 version of the queen that we've seen, which is his wife in this timeline. She appears on the spinning orb in the future, and then we slowly transition into 2006 timeline. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Thomas kind of is in a haze, and he's remembering the situation, then it kind of just morphs, and now he's, he's Tommy the mm -hmm. uh, the mid story version and uh his wife is in the room begging him to go outside and he's an asshole about it um and says no i can't i've got work to do go outside and he gets called over uh from like a nurse uh yeah, like so he's in a hospital now yeah and it took me a hot minute like probably two scenes later to realize that he wasn't like a human surgeon that he's like a scientist of some sort. Who well, he is human, surgery. but he, he he's not doing he's not performing surgery on humans. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah, he's not operating on humans. He's operating on monkeys. Right. And he's doing brain procedures 
So you, you get the connection there is because uh, it's very abundantly clear that his wife is sick when we first yeah. meet her. Um, she's got like a pixie cut, but she's got like patches missing in her hair. Um, right. You can tell she's she's had this tumor for some time. You know, they they know it's, it's Rachel Vice, So she's still very beautiful. And oh, charming, yeah. Oh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's definitely sick. And yeah. you can't imagine how he could be such an asshole to uh, such a majestic woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, this is also where we get to meet our next uh, main character, Donovan, the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay yeah yeah which i didn't realize was a monkey until like the right scene yeah they uh, don't just like come out there with it they, they sort of obscure like his face and stuff while he's in the operating room until like they're about to start the surgery and they're like oh it's a monkey okay yeah so uh, and they this, they start to do the imagery fixations on the rings here so like at the start of the movie the princess gave the conquistador the ring and now he's like spinning the ring on his finger from his wife Right. And uh, he goes to prepare the surgery and he takes it off and he puts it on this counter. But then before they begin operating, they find out that the monkey uh, can't handle medications or something like that. Um, I'm not 100% sure what it was. They, they get him on the table. They're about to start the surgery and they're doing some sort of like final tests of something. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if it's the drugs that they were going to give him or or what it is or, or whatever treatment they were going to do to him as part of this surgery that they're, they're now like at the last minute finding out like, this is not going to work very well. He's not going, his body's not responding well to this or something. Our, our tests mm -hmm. aren't going well. So they Basically, have to scramble. He's gonna die. And, yeah. They have to yeah. scramble and find some other solution or they're just going to have to let him die on the table. And so they're all giving up on this prospect. And then he sits down and he's sitting there upset and defeated. And he looks up and a beam of light he starts to envision above his head. And then he sees this like nebula figure like that, the, that like chemistry, like breaking apart mm -hmm. stuff that we were talking about earlier. Like column of light. Yeah. And so then he's got, he's seen the line, he's got the vision and he's like, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he breaks out a piece of fungus or something from, you guessed it, a tree. Uh, a tree that they in found. Guatemala. A tree in Guatemala when they were doing some sort of research. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he thinks it will be the solution to cure brain disease and tumors. Um, and so he implements... Oh, and he's not supposed to be doing this. It's not approved. It's uh, not been tested, et cetera, et cetera. Right. He goes through it anyway to save the monkey, and lo and behold, it works. Um, it's, a, it's a huge miracle. In the process of this, his ring goes missing. Um, from when he took it off before the surgery, he can't find it. Um, but then we flash to another memory, or maybe it's just like later that night. I couldn't tell the way that they were acting. I felt like they were being really chipper and it might've been a different time, but he comes home, can't find his wife. She's on the roof. Um, and she's looking at the stars and you guess it, a nebula. <laughs> see the, see the repetition in the themes we're seeing here. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and they have a cute moment. They're out there, and she's explaining uh, how a nebula works and what they're looking at. And um, well, this and is you when see she... a lot of the imagery throughout the scene. But yeah, go yeah, ahead. and th this is when she first references the book that she's writing. Like he knows that she's writing a book, but this is the first time that we learn that she's been writing this book. And she starts telling him this story about um, the Mayan. Uh, uh, underworld Shababa, 
uh, which is which the Mayans believe is in this nebula out in space. That's what she's looking at. She's looking at at Shabalba, which is the dying star that's that's contained within this nebula. And so she's telling him about it, and he's like, "Where did you get all this?" She's like, "Well, it's in it's in my book. You know, it's in the story that I'm that I'm writing. You know." So she's taking all this like you know these religious like uh, stories, and she's she's using that to craft this, this story about the conquistador and the and the queen and whatnot and looking for the, the you know tree of life yeah and then this is when we first start to get uh, a little bit more information on how her disease is progressing because she's not wearing shoes out there and it is covered in snow yeah and so tommy starts to freak out about it we cut to the next scene and it's a similar subject she's he comes home she's in the bathtub um starts to have a bit of a breakdown and he realizes that she can't feel the water. So she's losing all of her. Yeah, she can't feel the heat. Like she couldn't feel the cold of the snow. Yeah. So then he starts having a panic attack uh, over this and how she hadn't been talking about it. And then instead she like pulls his ass into the bathtub and like wants to get freaky. Sexy time. Very passionate, sexy time. It is. It was a yeah. steamy ass scene, which is, is like crazy achievement considering how dour this scenario was. True. Where she's like yeah. dying and stuff, and it's like really emotional. And it's like split second later, it's like, nah, we get freaky, and it's gonna look steamy and gorgeous with this cinematography, with like the water like falling off their faces, and they're just yeah. like intensely macking and stuff. Like, well, and and the the kind of seriousness and and somberness of the moment and and what's going on really lends itself well to that too to that kind of like that intensity of you know like this could be the last time that these people you know that this couple gets to to really express themselves in this way with each other because who knows how much time she has left and she's uh you know just she's got so much passion in that because she can't feel she can't sense things as well as she could she's losing her her sensitivity she wants to feel something so i I thought there was a lot going on in that scene yeah so they're getting dried out and uh she gives him the book which is called the fountain um and then he gets a call and the surgery that he did on that monkey was miraculously a success and the monkey fully uh revived himself and actually uh, showed signs of being younger than when he yeah. was when he got sick. Um, so, of course, you know, light bulbs going off in his head. He's like, I've done it. I've figured out the cure for my wife. Um, and so then we cut back and he's going to start reading the fountain. And this is when he he's reading the story. And we jump back to the Conquistador era mm-hmm. story. So now we're realizing that the book that she's been writing is like that those flashback scenes that we've been seeing from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, uh, inquisitor of the religious faith that's, uh, ruling around this time. And he's trying to, he's setting up a coup to bring down the queen, which is, uh, um, and they do, it's really gross. When we first meet him, he's like whipping the shit out of himself. Yeah. In like a very violent, disgusting scene. <laughs> and then he just Flagellate. puts a robe on. He's just got blood flowing everywhere. And he's just oh, like, yeah. we got to kill this bitch. And, yeah. um, and then um, Thomas uh, is pledged to protect the queen. And then he goes and breaks into this dungeon where all these people from his side are getting tortured. He's got a crossbow ready to kill the Inquisitor. But then he's called away. 
um, by, by a the queen, friend soldier. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. She the queen sent them. Yeah, sent this guy to bring her, bring him to her. And then uh, he goes to meet her in like one of the most exquisite sets. Um, mm. Like her throne room is just yeah. so immaculate, and the costumes and shit is incredible. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she. Oh, I put a note. God, fuck, this film is so goddamn gorgeous. <laughs> um, so then, oh, here, fun cameo. Well, I mean, it's not a cameo, but yeah. Uh, we, mm. we see Hector Salamanca. Yeah, Mark Margolis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he makes great. And this was like probably like a year or two before he was on Breaking Bad. And man, did he. Oh, was it that close? Wow. Changed along. Yeah, because this came out in 2006. Yeah, I think did, Breaking Bad started in 2007. Looked a little younger. He looked way filled out and like, yeah, just like, yeah, aged quite a bit in a couple of years. (laughs) I know a lot of that's makeup and stuff, but still. Mm. Um, But uh, yeah, so he breaks out this map. uh, Yeah, so he's a friar or something, right? He's he's a he's a holy man. Yeah, he's some sort of religious figure, and he breaks out a map that leads to two different trees slash like Mayan temples. There's three temples. So, well, he, yeah, so he finds that he found this dagger it, somewhere in his journey and travels. He was exploring, you know, uh, uh, New Spain, they call it, uh, which I guess would be Mexico now, right? Which is where the Aztec Empire was, was centered. Um, so he found this dagger in New Spain um, on the, the body of a dead Mayan priest or something, I believe, is what he says. And so the dagger has these three holes that when they line it up with a map of that region of the world it it shows these three temples three mayan temples and at the center is where they believe you know the the garden of eden was or the the tree of life you know yeah so that's what he shows today so she's tasking him to go find the tree of life or is it like they're splitting up and one can find the tree of knowledge and one can find the tree of life or something? Like no, that? I don't think so. I, I think I think it's just the the tree of life. Um, uh, I now that you mentioned that, I do remember at some point in the movie there was mention of the two trees, the the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, but I don't remember exactly what they said about it. I I, I think that at this point that there was just supposed to be one tree that that they're concerned with, and it was the it was the tree of life. Pretty sure. Yeah. So she tasks uh, Thomas to go find this. And in doing so, she gives him this ring um, that she wants him to take with him uh, when he finds it and, and finds immortality. And she says that, uh, you know, with this, and if he brings it and carries out this task, then they'll live together forever. Mm-hmm. If he does this. So. Yeah. Rings very important throughout the the whole film, where where you always get cuts to his finger, and it's either showing the ring or like the tattoo of where the ring used to be. Right for the fu- like for that. future future Tommy has a tattoo of a like a dark tattoo in places. He's of the got a bit sky. of a tattoo fetish, uh, which <laughs> we'll learn. Um, so then, um, then we cut back to modern times, and Tom wakes up from his trance by, by while reading the book. And he finds the Izzy is, is it Izzy, right? Or is it Lizzie? Izzy. 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 Short Izzy's for missing. Yeah, Izzy's missing. And so then he goes to look for her. And he finds her at this museum that has a bunch of Mayan exhibits, which is probably what she's using for reference on her yeah. book. Yeah. Um, and then she expo- she shows him these old texts 
um, that explain, you know, the tree of life and basically the whole story that we've been kind of going through. Right. And, and, and the, the belief that in the, in the Mayan, uh, you know, religion that, that death is basically a new beginning. Death is a, is a rebirth. It's a start of a new journey, um, which is, which is, uh, echoed by that line that I mentioned earlier that they keep, you know, it comes out throughout the movie, death is the road to awe. Right. Yeah. And so then at this moment, she looks up at the sky and sees a beam of light, much like Tommy did in the surgery room. And then she passes out. So she ended up having a seizure at that time. And, uh, and so then they're in the, the hospital and, uh, she's, Tommy's freaking out and he's talking about how he's like, I've got the cure on standby. Like, I just need to do a few more tests, like, and I can fix this because the doctor's there basically saying it's done. Like, yeah. like she ain't going to make it. Um, and then uh, Izzy goes on a monologue speech about how she felt full and complete when she had that seizure. And basically she's ready to die and she yeah. doesn't, and she knows that he's obsessing over this, but she wants to let go. But he, of course, can't let her go. Um, she's like the whole reason for his being, much like the conquistador. Mm-hmm. So um, he he's going to go ahead and keep uh, doing his surgeries. Then we jump back to Tom Creo in the future. And uh, he's talking to the furry tree and eats another piece of bark. Um <laughs> And also there's a lot of insert shots where this stuff starting to make more sense to me or be more obvious. Cause I always, I kept thinking it was really weird that the tree had hairs, but then they constantly, when she's like, uh, in the modern times when they're like cuddling or stuff, they always do these really hyper close-ups on her neck and you see all her neck hairs like mm-hmm. really close. So yeah. it's like a direct he leans connection. in to kiss her neck and you see the hairs kind of like respond and he's like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm going to save you, that sort of thing. So it's like a little weird, but like mm-hmm. it's a really sentimental thing to connect the the yeah. tree to the love of his wife. And thinking about things like that, like neck hair, is like pretty right. strange. But it's like it was really done in a beautiful way with the cinematography. Um, and then we jump back to the Aztec times with the story of uh, Thomas. So um, the the camp is upset. They've been on this journey for a long time. People have died. They're not finding what they're looking for. The uh, Hector Salamanca character uh, is out doing some sort of ritual mm-hmm. uh, with his dagger and comes across like a placement in the ground to put the dagger, which then reveals the temple. And so he's excited. Meanwhile, back at the camp, the rest of the soldiers are all putting together a coup. They want yeah, to go they're, home. They're about to mutiny. Yeah, it's a mutiny, and they're not having it anymore. Thomas comes in, and he's like, yeah, we're going to do this. And they're like, nah, dog, we're done with this shit. Like, we don't want to do this anymore. And then they go to attack and murder him so that they can abandon this mission and go home, and they accidentally kill Hector. And then Thomas kills all of them. Well, he kills one of them. There, there's two that survive, and those are the ones that end up going to the temple with him. Oh, right oh from later. the beginning. And yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then he owns them. He gets the dagger. They're going to go find the temple now that he knows where it is. Um, 
Uh, where am I at in my notes? Um, and then he starts to fondle his ring uh, <laughs> at this time after he murders everybody and then he remembers his speech. And then we jump back to present times uh, with uh, Izzy and um, and Tommy. And things have taken a turn for the worse. And uh, Izzy dies. Well, well, we missed something important, though, which is uh, she gave Tommy a gift while she's laying there in the hospital in the bed. She has this this wrapped gift for him on like the bedside table. And she says, I, I have a gift for you. And he opens it up and it's her book. And he's thumbing through. And he says, but it's not finished. And she says, I want you to finish it. She's there's like a chapter at the end that's just blank. She's written mm-hmm. most of the book. She's almost finished it. And she wants him to finish it after she's gone and he's like no 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 you know i'm gonna save you or whatever this isn't the end but so now he has the book and she's she's given him this this like her dying wish is to finish her book and it wasn't before or after this where he did a bunch more surgeries on monkeys i well say it was before before yeah before he kept performing surgeries because he was like focused on trying to figure out how to get the tumor to shrink and the other doctors were like, no, 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 we, you know, we have this medical breakthrough. We need to figure out what it's doing with the monkeys, like aging and his cognitive abilities, whatever. And he's like, no, that we need to get the tumor, you know, to go away because obviously he wants to get the tumor out of his wife's head. Um, so they were doing surgeries on monkeys for that purpose before. And then, and, and, but every time, like they were making all these, like uh, they were showing all these signs of improvement in other ways, but the tumor was never going down. So then when he's at the hospital with Izzy, he gets that visit from the the one woman. I don't know. She's the, I don't know, head doctor or whatever at the hospital, like his boss or something. She shows up at the hospital uh, before Izzy dies, right before she shows up to tell Tommy the great news, which is that the tumor is subsiding and is practically gone or something like that. Like it's finally happened and he rushes to Izzy's side as she's the doctors were trying to save her at that moment and they kicked him out of the room because she was already starting to flatline they kicked him out of the room he gets the news that he's basically found the cure it's official or something and it's too late it's just too late yeah and he assaults the medical staff oh yeah (laughs) as you would this was like very reminiscent of hugh jackman in prisoners if you've seen that like Mm, that same like fatherly rage that he does in that movie, he does in this as well. Um, so yeah, the sweet, sweet Izzy has died. And now we jump back to like this the full steam here. This movie goes fast. Um, there's a lot covered in this time period, but yeah. we're already in the third act here now. Yeah. Um, because then we jump back to Tommy Creo or sorry, Tom Creo in the future timeline. Um, and I lost my note. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we jump back, and the tree of life is now dying. Um, in the in the future timeline, yeah. he's been doing this like some sort of practices with the bark and like trying to revive it somehow. But now he's reminiscing about Izzy's death, and then he's realizing that the tree is not going to live through it well i'm not clear if he if there's anything that he's doing that was intended to keep the tree alive it it seemed like the eating of the bark was something he's doing to maintain his own life or to just 
you know, maintain this immortality that he seems to have at this point as they're floating through space. But the tree seems to be on borrowed time throughout. And his and he keeps whispering to the tree, we're almost there because he's trying to get it to Shabalba. He's trying to get it to that dying star, oh, gotcha. and that nebula that the Mayans believe is where, you know, dying things go to be reborn, which is something they, they established earlier in the movie when Izzy was, was telling him the story. Um, so that's the belief is that, you know, that is that is the point where rebirth happens. And so he's trying to get this dying tree to to that point, to that star uh, before it explodes. Um, so that's where the, like there's a lot of parallels between the story of Tommy and Izzy and, and, you know, her condition and her death and him trying to save her as a doctor and what's going on with this future version where, you know, he's he's out there with this tree that kind of represents at the very least her, or it's, you know, it's his partner in some sense and he's trying to, and it's dying and he's trying to save it, whether he'll, he'll make it or not. You know, there's a lot of parallel there. Yeah, definitely. Um, really beautiful stuff. So then yeah. uh, snow appears around this dying tree up in the future. Then he turns around and now we're at Izzy's funeral from the mid timeline. Yeah. Um, which she'd asked previously to be uh, buried out in the valley near where they live under the snow. Um, so that's where they're at. Um, and then back at home, Tommy finishes reading The Fountain, the book, but comes to the last page where it's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends where the movie began, with the, with the decapitation at the top of the Mayan temple. Well, we also see the conquistador uh, reach the tree because when the, uh, the the Mayan king or or whoever he is, the the high priest guy, whatever he may be, when he goes to kill Tommy, he strikes him down apparently. But then, in his place, is the future version oh. of Tommy floating, you know, in this meditative state with this glow all around him, and then the 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 high priest guy is, you know, he refers to him as first father, which is the the man, the guy that they believe, the being that they believe created the world. So essentially God, in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well. So this yeah, is where it starts getting more abstract. <laughs> well, this is like, because it's cutting a lot here yeah. at this point. So we're going to, so we're at Izzy's funeral in the mid timeline. And then um, he's reading the book. He finishes it. Um but it's not quite, but it's, it's missing the ending. And then we go back to the future. Oh, oh, okay. So, so I'm sorry. So he finishes reading the book. It's missing the last chapter. He's full of grief and anger. And then he spills her ink over and he picks up her pen and he Mm. starts giving himself a tattoo. The tattoo of the ring on his finger. Because he earlier, he was, when Izzy was dying, he, they made it basically blatant that he was remembering the story and the story about the ring. And so he thinks that because he lost his ring during the surgery, that like there's an element to that, that like right. allowed her to die. My mission, instead of my mission is with him. Has like failed. he failed. Yeah. yeah. Cause he, he lost the ring and he didn't bring it with him. And so he thinks that's why. So then he starts to tattoo the ring himself. And then throughout the movie with, uh, with Tom Creo, in the future, we've seen him tattooing himself. Um, and so now we go back to that timeline and he takes his shirt off and he's reminiscing. He's covered in sleeves of rings, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all around his arms. And he talks about 
how their memories that he's lived in all these lifetimes and all the life that he's lived there. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then he sees uh, a vision of Izzy and then the queen in front of him at the dying tree. And then she asks him to release her from her bondage. And he claims that he doesn't know how. And she tells him that he does. And then he starts to see all versions of her right. um, throughout their experiences. And so then he decides here that he will accept death so that he can be with her forever. So then we cut back to present day where uh, it goes back to that scene where he initially would get, which we cut to several times where he was fighting with Izzy when she was begging him to go outside. And instead he goes left with the nurse and uh, does the surgery on the monkey. But this time around, after he's now accepted that he chooses to die um, so they can live forever, uh, he goes right and he goes outside with her into the snow, which is also where she was buried. Um, uh, so, and then uh, we flash back to Tom Creon and he climbs the dead tree and then it begins to float up out of the nebula into, what did you call it? Uh, well, toward the dying star, toward Shabalba. Shabalba. Okay, yeah, the exploding star. Yeah. And then, when that happens, then we go what you just described. We cut all the way back to Thomas. Um, we find out he didn't actually get decapitated. Instead, the spirit of Tom Creo from the future appears. And the king then worships him right. and thinks like, oh, my God, I'm meeting God, and then asks him to slit his throat. Right. Which he obliges and then the opening opens up and he finds the tree of life and then this is where uh i wrote down uh thomas stabs it and drinks its semen <laughs> because uh, <laughs> because he stabs the tree and just white goop just could be milk pouring out of could it. be milk <laughs> pretty thick man it's pretty it is thick, thick. it some, is thick some expired ass milk some horse <laughs> horse semen going on right there <laughs> yeah luke skywalker would have loved it uh, oh my but, god uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then he starts just hoarding and hoarding this shit in his stomach, Open and he's, down. he he was stabbed earlier in the stomach. Yeah, um, and so then rubs some of it on the wound, heals the wound immediately, yeah, healing, and then he's like, "All right, now I'm gonna just just yes. really overdo it here," and he starts just like really pounding into that tree yeah. and just like scarfing down all this jizz <laughs> from the uh, from the tree trunk, <laughs> um, as you do. Yeah, and then he, he starts to float up to the stars, and then um, the he pulls version. out the yeah. Uh, or this is still um, kind of going back and forth. This is still Thomas. So Thomas who drinks all the milk. He starts to float up. He pulls out the ring that was given to him by oh, the I don't queen. That. Okay, and he starts to pull out the ring because he's kept it in his pocket the whole time, like mm -hmm. the conquistador version of him. He didn't wear it on his finger. He kept it in a little pouch. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he pulls it out as he's floating up in the sky and he's putting it on his ring. Then he hears like a humming and a noise from behind him. And it turns out that it's Tom Creo and it distracts him. And he drops the ring. And so then he no longer is floating through the sky because he's not fulfilling his promise and bringing the ring through with him. So Tom Creo has come back uh, to, all the way to the past at the beginning and has sabotaged his ability to fly up to immortality. And so he drops the ring, he falls down, and then this is some sort of biblical reference, but he starts to sprout flowers and greenery from his wounds and then the rest of his body until he becomes a part of the earth. Right. 
um, in the Bible, I guess that's that and butterflies are supposed to fly out. But uh, fun oh, fact really? I skipped. Didn't know that. Fun fact I skipped is they didn't include the butterflies because they needed to save money on CGI. So <laughs> they only did the plant portion of that. Um, so then he then becomes part of the Earth, and floating Tom Creo in his little bubble is now ascending instead, accepting death, no longer wanting to live a life of immortality. Um, I, and they enter the exploding star. You have a different and, interpretation of this. It'll be interesting to get into this. And he melts into the exploding star. And the tree grows back to life in the sky, um, much as they had predicted. And then we are back in modern times uh, with Tommy, and he's visiting the grave of Izzy. And next to it, he sprouts a seed to plant next to her grave, which, yeah. of course, will be the, the tree. It's like a little pine cone-like thing that she had found in a previous memory when they went out to explore in the first snow or something like that. So he's he held on to this thing, and now he plants it over her grave, which harkens back to a, a little side story, a little brief story that she told him earlier about um, when she was alive. Uh, she was telling him a story about, uh, I don't remember exactly uh, who it was that she was referencing is like some guy um, who's like I don't I don't remember who he was a monk or something I don't know uh, like grandfather or father dies and he plants a tree over the body where he buried the body so then the tree like so his father becomes the tree and then the leaves of the tree travel through the wind and the birds eat the eat the you know blossoms and and fruit from the tree and everything and so his father gets to live forever is is the the sense that's the story that she tells him earlier so this is kind of like him coming to terms with her her death but also you know planting this seed so that she might live on in a sense yeah, yeah. so that was the film uh and uh i already spoiled my interpretation earlier but i was floored man i thought it was a beautiful piece of cinema like, and, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really impressed. I thought it was really, really great. Yeah. And not just, not just as a piece of cinema, but the story itself, um, the second time around, um, really resonated with me even more. Um, I'll, I, I do want to share my, my more detailed synopsis of it. Um, uh, because I, I really, I really thought it was, it was telling a really beautiful story. Um, and so I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, much more the second time around than I already did the first time. Um, and uh, I mean, a lot of that is, you know, does come with like with age and, and your perspectives changing, you know, just uh, just the way that you look at things. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into uh, your categories here because I, I have some additional thoughts I want to get into. So how do you how do you want to do this? Excellent. Well, let's jump into them. Um, do you have some categories we didn't previously talk about as well? um i only have one not really i only have one secret one for you but i don't even know how to answer it myself but we'll jump into the topic rounds and um we'll do the traditional ones and then i'll see what excuse me what we can come up with um actually before with... before we do that can i can i go through my my quick uh write-up that i have here on what i thought the movie was about Oh yeah, yeah. We should because I have some questions myself. So why don't you yeah. do that first, and then uh, then I'll ask some things, and then we'll jump. Sure. Into the yeah, I'm definitely interested to hear your interpretation. But this is this is what I've got. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read word for word here, write it, what I wrote down because I, I probably can't word it any better if I try to remember it off the top of my head. Um, so hopefully this isn't too long. 
Um, so I said, uh, I think this movie is in a nutshell or in a nutshell is about a man trying to cope with the death of his wife. And he does so by envisioning an ending to the story of her life in which she and he along with her are reborn in eternal life. Uh, this story is clearly inspired by the book his wife is writing and which she asked him to finish. I think it's unlikely that he actually wrote this exact ending to her book. I'm referring to like the future thing floating in space and stuff with the tree. Uh, I think it's unlikely he actually wrote this exact ending to her book in part because there would be some major continuity problems, not to mention suspension of disbelief with the whole man and tree floating in space thing, but also because he's not a writer at all. Instead, I think we are actually seeing what we are actually seeing is an amalgamation in Tommy's imagination of the core elements of Izzy's story mixed and overlaid with the certain elements of Tommy and Izzy's life in present day in which he perceives certain parallels between the two stories and uses that as a basis for his imagined happy ending in which they get to be together forever reborn in eternal life. To add yet another layer onto this, I believe the entire structure of this film is meant to also mirror this idea that we are basic that what we are basically wait, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, mirror this idea that we are basically seeing what is in Tommy's mind the whole time, which is why the story seems to overlap upon itself as if everything is happening simultaneously throughout the whole film, because that's how thoughts work, bouncing around rapidly with no regard to linear time, making connections between past, present, and future all at the same time. Bravo. That was awesome. And in fact, that actually answers a lot of my questions. Um, with your interpretation. In fact, I just feel stupid for not having it myself. Yeah. I was taking a little bit more of a literal approach to some things, but like that's where I was getting questions because I was like, well, it doesn't really make sense. Like, are we implying that this guy did live all these lifetimes? But it doesn't make sense because there's no indication of that with Tommy in the, right. in the middle phase. And then it's like, how did he live? for another 500 years. And we see the conquistador um, turn into plants, you know? We see him just basically turn into mulch at that one point after he yeah, drinks. Well, to me, that, what, to me, though, like why, how I was interpreting it in a more literal sense is I thought that they did go through all that, and then basically when he reaches the end, and he could, uh, it, when she tells him, I want to be released from this prison, then he goes back in time. He's like, all right, I'm going to stop this whole thing. And so then he interferes with uh, uh, Thomas when he's floating up to, to gain immortality from the tree of life. And he stops him from putting on the ring. And that's when he dies. So to me, I was interpreting that as a, he's resetting the timeline by going back and stopping that from happening. Um, but so that was my interpretation. But And I, I feel dumb for not having gone and read up some articles before doing this podcast of like how others interpreted it. That would have been a good idea. But I really like what you said there because it makes the story make a lot more sense given the the book of the fountain aspect of yeah. it. That was I the only that's... way I could make sense of it. I would like to actually do some research now and see what other people's interpretations were as well. I, I haven't done that either. Yeah, but to me, I was, but yeah, it, it's there's holes in what my initial interpretation because of that very reason, like there's no indication in the in the modern storyline that that he's aware that he's immortal or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think your version makes a lot more sense. Um, okay, let's get into the categories here. Uh, this one's probably the hardest. One. No, it's tough because like like we said, this is basically a two person show. 
um, with most of it being on Hugh Jackman. But best performance, who would you give it to? I want to say Rachel Weiss, or is it Weiss? I don't know how it's pronounced. But I think it's Weiss, but I'm not 100. percent Yeah, I think she is German, and ah. so it's pronounced like Weiss, but um, I'm not 100. percent Yeah, so she's she's my pick, um, just because I I I do feel like she's in general a better actor uh, than Hugh Jackman, and even though he gets so much screen time in this movie, not that she doesn't, uh, I'm sure that he probably gets a little bit more than she does. Um, she really her character sold me you know i i i was i was a hundred percent uh you know sold with with everything about her uh she's she seems very genuine i you know believe that what she's going through is 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 actually happening she just did a a great job with you know a arguably potentially smaller uh role so really like her i yeah i'm torn because she was great she did sell the character she was like it was like kind of like the manic pixie dream girl type uh, <laughs> trope, but with cancer. Um, but okay. like a little bit more, like you said, genuine in her performance. So she was really great. I kind of want to give the edge to Hugh for a couple of reasons. One, you're right. She is a better actor than he is. I've never particularly found him to be a great actor a lot of the time. Same. He's put in some good performances here and there. I think this is does a good job. At, he does really excel Ironic, not ironically, because he played Wolverine for so long, but he really excels at rage. (laughs) So when he gets set off, like he really does that well. And this movie in particular is very interesting because all three characters are very, very different. And the way that I, uh, I read up on in his performance, the way that he got things across differently was like even just his body language and the way that he presents himself. So like Thomas, the conquistador, is the brunt soldier he should be able to get through anyone so he's very chest out uh commanding stances Mm. tommy his wife is dying so every time you see him he's hunched over Mm. at a desk and it's because he's carrying this huge weight on his back and then future tom creo he is in a place of zen Mm. he always sits in you know indian style cross-legged pretzels Mm-hmm. on his legs and he's very calm and 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 uh fulfilled by yeah, he's, by he's found some sort of enlightenment so uh that's so you can really see those differences in each interpretation they're all vastly different from each other um so i think he's just asked to do a whole lot in this movie i think he's really successful at it so i will give the slight edge to him just because he's doing so much cool. in the movie yeah um all right. What's your favorite aspect of the film? I think I know what it is based off of what you said at the start here. Probably do. Ones, yeah. I uh, the soundtrack. Uh, that's yeah. yeah. I mentioned it many times. Uh, oh, I, I put down two thing, two things actually. I put soundtrack and then also the overall visual aesthetic. Um, you know, it's just it's it's a really like you said, it's a beautiful film. It's it's really pretty to look at. Um, even though you know a lot of the stuff that they're showing it, there's there's nothing necessarily pretty about it just the way that they shot it um you know this movie doesn't have a wide color palette either it's a lot of like if you look at any poster of the movie it's like the kind of blacks and golds and some brown and everything that's the most of the movie looks like that uh maybe not so much the, the present day modern time era as much but like there's so much of just that color palette throughout the entire movie so it, it kind of feels drab in a sense but it looks so good at the same time 
So they I wrote down three candidates, one being the score, which is your pick. Um, the other being the set design is really incredible, like in every scene. And uh, but my my pick for the category is going to be the cinematography. Um, it was just absolutely gorgeous. Like there's not one basic set shot in like any scene. It's all incredible, masterful filmmaking, like the way they move the camera, the way the cut edits are, the color palettes, like the, the detail and the embroidery, like everything is just absolutely stellar in this, even like the kind of like, you know, questionable, you know, early two thousands CGI towards the end of the film. Like it still looks really good and holds yeah. up quite well, which was their reasoning why they did that microscope uh, photography to achieve a lot of that visual effect is because they stated they wanted this to stand the test of time. They wanted uh, it to be timeless. So instead of relying on the CGI at the time, yeah. they did as much as they could practically. And I think it really, really helped out That's with smart. the visuals there. You know, it is paced really well too, I have to say, because I found myself at a certain point in the movie, just kind of being entranced by it, just being lost by it. I wasn't thinking about how long it had been. I wasn't looking at the clock. I wasn't like distracted by anything else that was going on because of any sort of pacing issues. It just, it moves at a very nice, steady pace the whole time. Best timeline from the film. Best timeline? Is that is that a, a new category? That's what I'm adding, yeah. That's my one additional category. I liked the present day stuff the most. Uh, I, I was too. I was most invested in those characters, especially in Izzy. You know, it's like I wanted him to find a a cure for. Her. I will say though, it would be a trip to to be able to fly out in space like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked very fun. lonely though. That looked like a very sad, no. yeah, sad existence. Well, that's why you have to have all that zen. Yeah. Um, Fine wine and stale beer awards. So these are the awards for the thing that's aged the best and the thing that's aged the worst. I got to say, it was really hard trying to find a stale beer for this movie. Like, I really think it's basically yeah. flawless across the board. Like, there was not many things for me to nitpick about it. I just thought it was an incredible achievement. What do you have for fine wine? For fine wine, I put down uh, the relationship with his wife, the relationship between Tommy and Izzy. Um, I, I also noted that the actor's chemistry in general. I thought the two had very good chemistry, Jackman and, and Vice. Um, their their relationship, uh, especially on a rewatch now, uh, really hit me a lot harder than the first time. So I mentioned the first time I watched this, I was with my wife when we were dating. Um, and watching it now, I, I've been married to her for 10 years, going on 11. And... The relationship of these characters in the movie, um, I I could relate a lot more to it now, um, and I found myself just like you do with most movies when, or most stories when they they present you know a character that you can relate to. You kind of find yourself thinking, oh, what what would this be like if I was in this situation? You know, what would I do? How would I how would I feel about this? And uh, so I was internalizing a lot of a lot of the stuff that he was going through with her and and it just hit me a lot harder um so that that was the part that really stood out to me was just their relationship in general and and uh you know what they were dealing with it's a great pick um and more thoughtful than mine i just put down the sets and costumes because oftentimes 
they can age poorly depending mm-hmm. on what was done, especially for a movie like this that really had to stretch a budget. But like they really achieved that timeless look they were going for. Like it's just flawlessly gorgeous, like yeah. everywhere. Um, and then as far as stale beer awards go, like I said, like I can't really find flaws with this movie. I put some of the effects, some of the uh, special effects for yeah. modern times, you know, 2006. It's rough a little bit in the, the end future state, but I'd say for the most part, those scenes look a million times better than anything you see in like a Marvel production today. So like, yeah. it, like you know, go back to Love and Thunder last year and everybody was like, oh, sure. the black and white planet scene. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Is it better <laughs> than the, is it better than the uh, Tom Creo scenes in the Fountain? I don't no. think so. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so I put down for stale beer. I put down Hugh Jackman's acting and some of the special effects. <laughs> and that, and again, not not that I think Hugh Jackman's a terrible actor or anything by by any means, but uh, he's just one of those guys that he's he's perfectly fine in everything that I've seen him in. But you know, he doesn't blow me away. Um, That's fair. I don't re- usually like him that much as an actor. Yeah, he's he's a very actor actor. Like you can tell that he's acting a lot. Of yeah, yeah, a little bit more more than some. Um, and then with special effects, um, I didn't even think that a lot of the stuff in the in the space you know era uh, looked you know strange to me or anything or, or no, they looked. Really I, I thought good. it aged really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of the ones that that did uh, like the one scene that uh, that did stand out to me the most as as looking like it hasn't aged as well was. Um, when the guy drinks from the tree of life and starts sprouting all the, you know, yeah. plants of flowers growing out of him and he like melts into the ground essentially. Like that part looked a little bit stop motion animation to me in, in yeah. points. Um, yeah, and like I said, they ran out of budget and they yeah. had to do a simpler version of that yeah. um, to achieve it. Um, so we're aligned there on the stale beer. Um, best scene uh, was really tough for me to pick. Like, I, I, I just loved them all. It was hard to pick, like, a standout. But I think the one that was most jarring and interesting to me was the initial intro of Tom Creo in the future because it's, like, so drastically different than, like, pretty much anything you'd seen at cinema at that point in time or possibly even since. It was just such a gorgeous imagery. He's floating through the sky. He's tattooing himself. And it's just like the vibes were just wild. And then it's like starting to transition into the modern times because then you're starting to see Izzy in her hospital bed and she's talking to him in her modern clothing. And it, I just thought that was a real trip. Uh, and it's really early in the movie. Uh, for me, best scene, uh, I thought this was an easy one for me, was the bathtub scene with him and Izzy. Mm. Uh, we talked about that, it earlier. That, yeah, I did consider it. Yeah, yes. we talked about that one a lot. Um, and, and I was already kind of like getting getting ahead of myself uh, with, with describing some of the things that I, I loved about that scene. But I, I just put down here, you know, the way that she's losing sensitivity to, to hot and cold and she just, you know, wants so badly to feel something that there's just so much passion in her, you know, grabbing him and, and kissing him with this like ferocity almost and pulling him into the water. And, you know, it just, I, I it, it really, it really worked for me. I really like that scene a lot. Um, category that I do for each one of these movies based around the year that the film was released. So, Ooh, um, sorry, this one... wait, hold on one second. Can I do an honorable mention for best scene? Yeah, I forgot I noted this one too. Um, do you remember the scene when, uh, after Izzy falls, when she's at the hospital? So they first taken her to the hospital. 
but she hasn't she's not dead yet i don't think i think this is just after she's no. fallen um when he's leaving the hospital it's mostly silent you've just got him walking down the sidewalk down the street and everything and almost all you can hear is his footsteps just and like everything else is just this dull very very quiet background like muffled noise and then a, he tries to cross the street and a car almost hits him and honks his horn and then boom and you're out of it and everything's like you know he's back in the noise of the city again and i thought that was just a really nice touch just to kind of convey how he's just in his own world completely oblivious to what's going on around him i liked how they did that with the sound design there it's a good point yeah i didn't take note of that scene but i do know exactly what you're talking about um okay so this one will be since this movie was released in 2006 What's the most 2006 thing about this movie? Hugh Jackman's acting. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I just, I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> no, this was a tough one because like, even in the modern uh, scenes, uh, they kind of make it timeless. Like they're not using heavy technology or not in, you know, outdated cell phones yeah. or, or things like that. They keep it really timeless. So um, it was hard. My, I came up with two uh, potential answers here. First one being Rachel Weisz. <laughs> like, really? like, it was the most Because she was in thing. everything for like a few years. She was years. in everything and then she was in nothing. Yeah. Like she was in The Favorite a few years back. She was really great in that. Um, but you never see her anymore. Or if you do, it's like she's playing a bit part in like some shitty like Netflix like YA adaptation or mm. something. Like that's a good I know point. she's like I know she's like married to Daniel Craig and has kids with him and stuff, so they're quite busy, but mm. You know, she's great. I'd like to see more of her. Yeah. Um, yeah. My other answer was 90 minute films. This, <laughs> this movie's a, a, a brisk uh, one hour and 35 minutes with credits. So I fucking I, you, every I feel like every single episode, I'm always ranting about how bad I wish movies were 90 minutes long because everything's like three hours these days. Yeah. So I think that was a very 2006 thing to have a 90 minute long film. Um, before we get to the closing category, did you have any others? Uh, the only thing I put down in, in the other category section was stop being a dick. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, Tommy is so tunnel visioned on finding a cure. He's squandering what time he has left with his wife. It's frustrating to watch. <laughs> yeah. Especially since she's so sweet and like understanding through it, even when he's being a dick, she's like, just keep like, come on. I no, know. We can do it. It's like, how could you, man? How could uh, you? Yeah. I had one other category, but I can't do it like uh, for this movie in particular, which is best shot. So like mm. best <laughs> single shot, mm. but like every single shot in this movie is just gorgeous beyond yeah. belief. So like, I can't do it. I can't pick a favorite. Um, Maybe the overhead shot in the queen's throne room when, when he first comes in and it's like looking yeah, straight down. I thought about that. Dress. I thought about when the tree is jumping up into the uh, exploding star and it regrows yeah. and that's is, cool. Uh, Ooh, or uh, the moment when the star starts to explode when he's floating out into it and like you know it's like all black and it gets down to that little singularity point and the music stops and it's like boom and the music comes back really hard and he's just like melting. He's like melting <laughs> in this like into light. Dust. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty cool shot actually. That was sick. Okay, my favorite category, which is going to be really short because we both only picked two people. Yeah. Because um, it's really it's really a two-person show. So casting the movie if it were made today. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, this was tough. This is a really tough one. Um, 
I don't even have any great explanation for the ones I came up with. I just tried to think of, you know, who's who is relevant enough today um, that also isn't like a, a too huge of blockbuster actor or any or whatnot. Um, so for yeah, so the two characters that that I've I've got, like you said, um, same ones that you've got is Tommy and and Izzy. Um, for Tommy. I, I've got. I, I'm undecided. I, I thought either Jake Gyllenhaal or Miles Teller. I don't know why. Um, I, I think either of them could could uh, you know be believable as a as a doctor and also potentially well maybe not as much Miles Teller with the Conquistador thing, but Jake Gyllenhaal. I could see. I could see him doing each of these time periods. Definitely big uh-huh. fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. Minor fan of Miles Teller. He's made some things I really love, like Whiplash and. Yeah. Um, uh, he was good in Maverick, and uh, oh god, he um, was, he was, yeah, spectacular. Now I've been a huge fan of his yeah. since, since that. Maybe. I feel like I feel like this is one of those where like Jake Gyllenhaal is like who the studio would try to get. Miles Teller's who they'd settle for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> who did you have for Izzy? Uh, the only one I put down for for Izzy, and I don't know, it's just the only one that came to my mind was Emma Stone. Oh, okay, I could get behind that. She's great, and she would be replacing Rachel Weisz, who she starred with in The Favorite. Ah, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Um, okay, I took a little bit of a different approach. To me, it was weird trying to accept Hugh Jackman as a Spanish conquistador. Mm. So I went uh, to, and, and so much revolving around Mayan culture in the film, I decided to go for more uh, Hispanic, Latino actors for this. So for the role of uh, Tom, Tommy, and Thomas, I, I picked Diego Luna from Cat uh, Andor. Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay. He's got great acting chops. He's also known for mm-hmm. Narcos, and uh, he was in uh, E2 Mummy. Uh, oh, I just completely botched that. The uh, the Alfonso Cuarón film E2 Mama uh, uh, Tambien mm-hmm. uh, when he was a little little kid back in the early two thousands. Um, but, uh, he's, he's a really, really great actor and, uh, I'd, uh, I'd love to see him. I know he's got the chops to take on this kind of a dramatic role and to, to do that kind of range of the three different characters. Yeah, I think that's so a I good pick. And then to bolster that, because he's not a huge star, um, outside of like television, um, I, I wanted to pick someone a little bit more famous. So who's the hot person in Hollywood right now of, a of uh you know hispanic or latina descent it's on de armas uh, oh. so that's who i went with that <laughs> i to, was like zinta yeah <laughs> to keep that uh, to keep that same level of like gorgeous beauty but is super innocent and somebody that you could really buy behind that so that's who i picked for for my cast there i'm i'm terrible with uh I track of I certain just, actors who I, I don't know who Anna Darmus is. I know the name, but what's she been in? Everything. <laughs> like, I haven't like, seen those. <laughs> uh, what would you know? Blade I'm, Runner. I'm, I'm googling. I'm googling her right now. Oh, uh, what did I see? She was recently in? in Blonde. She was in Knives Out. Knives Out. That's what I saw her in. No Time to Die, the Bond movie. I did see uh, that. I don't remember her from it, but. She, she was huge. Uh, She's in like everything these days. Was she the main? Was she the main gal in, in No Time to Die? The one that he had the kid with? Uh, no, that's oh, okay. uh, Leah Sodo, okay. uh, French actress. But she was the uh, 
the female agent that teamed up with him in that movie. In Blade Runner 2049, okay. she was like the digital girlfriend of Oh, Ryan I love that character. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she was the caretaker in Knives Out, like the main girl. Yeah. Was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's who I would pick. Uh, I didn't realize she was that the queen. She was that popular. She's very, very famous. She's nominated for an Oscar right now um, for Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe movie, mm-hmm. um, which also has a lot of discourse. Haven't seen it myself. But uh, yeah, this is all to say, man, I'm really happy that you picked this movie because I, I really, really loved it. I'm glad that I was wrong when I was a teenager and <laughs> couldn't get through it. Um, but now in my my older soul, I can appreciate such great beauty yeah. and art and shame on the fucking Academy for not recognizing this film for anything. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching it again, too. It, like I said before, it's it's one that I've thought of many times because, you know just pop it on the soundtrack to listen to and makes me want to revisit it. So I'm, I'm glad I finally did. And I'm, I'm glad that it had been a number of years and I was able to look at it with uh, fresh eyes. All right, cool. Before we sign off, do you want to, you want to plug Renaissance or, you know, actually, yeah, this would be a really good time to, to plug that. So uh, yeah, if it's, it's been a minute since I've been on here. Uh, so I'm a game developer in my spare time and I uh, spent several years making a uh, complete, remake of the very first Final Fantasy role-playing game from the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, I rebuilt it in Unity, which uh, enables you to play it. It's just a standalone application you can play on Mac or PC. And I have recently been been in like my, I don't know, second or third renaissance of, uh, of the game, where uh, I've recently been getting a bunch of attention uh, at least on my Discord server and on Twitch, I've got people streaming the game and talking about it. And uh, I think I had about 20, 25 people join my Discord server within about 24 hours, uh, of, like within the last week. Um, so that's really exciting. So uh, yeah, it's getting a lot of a lot of attention right now, just from you know other fans of the series and and people who love to play to play uh, homebrew games. Um, so I've been working on some new features and uh, tweaking some things and stuff. I'm going to be putting out a new update uh, any minute now. Um, but yeah, it's called Final Fantasy Renaissance. You can find it online. Uh, if you Google Final Fantasy Renaissance, I'm pretty sure uh, it'll be like one of the first things that, that comes up uh, is my website, uh, which you can also get to directly at rengames.us. It's short for Renaissance Games. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming back on, Brandon, and uh, gifting me this uh, experience of watching this beautiful film. For those who follow me on a regular, uh, in honor of the Oscars tomorrow, I'll be posting on uh, my blog site, reallyrefreshing.com, a, uh, the first annual Reallys Awards. So I've got my own categories uh, that are nothing like the ones of the main major ones here. I'm talking things like uh, best uh, animal or pet in a film, uh, be- uh, best uh, movie I never saw, best <laughs> film I was wrong about. That'll be uh, fun. Fun categories like that. So you can find that on my website at reallyrefreshing.com. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>